Our scripture lesson today comes from the Sermon on the Mount. This is our our second in a series of six uh, sermons that we're doing as we look at Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I hope you'll join us as we uh, take this sermon series all the way through to Labor Day. Um, It is the greatest teaching you'll ever hear by the smartest man who's ever lived. Uh, And so let's see this new kingdom vision that Jesus lays out uh, before the people. Let's share in God's good word together. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Oh, for heaven's sakes, use the crosswalk. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Take my parking spot. She she probably needs Jesus more than me, honestly. Use your mirror. How long does it take to back out of a... Jesus, give me strength. This is so... Honestly, there better be coffee. There better be coffee. Don't make me get out of the... Y'all are going to make me park in a handicapped spot. (laughs) Anger. It comes to all of us. It comes to all of us. Oh, my goodness. Our world is angry, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's an angry place. And it was, ang- it was an angry place in Jesus' day, too. It was. It was. Anger. Contempt. Hatred. Lust. Divorce. Jesus dives right into the very places where we live. The things that we struggle with. This is no squeaky clean Sunday school lesson. Jesus is teaching us how to deal with real life, with verbal manipulation, revenge, slapping, suing, cursing, coercing, and begging. This is the sort of thing you see on the news. It's the sort of thing that has overwhelmed us in the last 24 hours. This is real life Jesus is talking about. And it is the best, most important teaching you'll ever hear. My name is Mark Foster. I'm a senior founding pastor here. Um, And we just want you to know that you're welcome here. We're very glad that you're here. Um, And I hope that we learn something together uh, through this. So here's the thing. If if you're a person who grew up in church, um, everything that I'm about to say in the next 30 minutes or so may seem exactly wrong to you because you learned something different as a kid. If you're new to church, you're going to love this sermon. Um, because it actually includes you, helps you, and can let you off the hook of a lot of things and cast a vision for what's possible in ways you never thought possible. So depending on which lens you look at this through, you may be very disturbed at the end of this, or you may be thrilled. Jesus meant for his hearers to be thrilled because he was showing a new life of possibility. So if you have your sermon notes, you may need those today um, because what Jesus is doing is not what most people think Jesus is doing. So last week, when we started the Sermon on the Mount, what we found is that the kingdom of heaven is available to everyone. To everyone. So say that with me. The kingdom of heaven is available to everyone. That's what Jesus says when he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. They too are available in the kingdom. Because in Jesus' day, they looked at them and they said, They're not included. Clearly, they're poor, they're weak, they're sick, they're hurting, they're mourning. Those people are out. And Jesus says, No, 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 they're in too. 
So that's the setup. And then this week, Jesus describes what this new kingdom looks like, what's actually possible. Now, this is important because if you look at what Jesus says as a new set of laws that you have to live into perfectly, you can't do it. It just can't be done in your strength. What Jesus is showing you are six concrete examples or illustrations of what life in his kingdom looks like. When you have the right heart, these are the sorts of things that become possible. He's not saying that you have to do them. They're not prescriptive. They're examples of what's possible. So Jesus' goal here is to enable people to actually be good and not just talk about it. Wouldn't that be amazing? That the things that we actually professed here, we lived out in the world. That we didn't cuss the people in the church parking lot on our way to church. Right? I mean, think about your language um, when someone cuts you off in traffic. You know, carpool's just around the corner. Right? So Jesus' culture was no different from ours with its obsession with the two primary issues of the day. One, violence, and the other, sex. That's what Jesus is addressing here. So I want you to try to think of a movie without violence or sex. Right? Well, right? Or maybe a television show. Right? Or an advertisement that doesn't boil down to our real problem, which is uncontrolled desire for money, sex, or power. That, that's the human condition. That's what we all struggle with. And Jesus knew that. And so Jesus knew that our hearts really long for this intimacy. And Dallas Willard wrote, he says, Intimacy is the real hunger of the human soul. And we can't escape it. We all want to be connected at a deep level to, to know and to be fully known. And more than a thousand years earlier, Augustine of Hippo wrote these words. This is to God. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. He wrote this somewhere between 354 and 430 in his lifetime. That's just the way life is. We all have this hole in our heart, and it won't be filled until we see God or Jesus or the Spirit face to face. Our hearts are restless, and we, and we try to fill it with all kinds of things. And when we don't get our way, we become angry. And sometimes we become violent. So the first thing that Jesus says in this is that the religious leaders were really good at talking a good game. So first Jesus says no faking, right? No faking, no pretending. It's, it's, we're not going to just talk a good game and then live differently. And the religious leaders at the time were really good at that. And so in verse 20, Jesus says this, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not possible. You think, well, people would hear that and they would be shocked. They're like, well, how, how is this possible? Because these are the people who do it right. Then what are we supposed to do? And, and Jesus says, well, hold on. They're not really as good as you think they are. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. This is in Matthew 23 later. He says, for you lock people outside the kingdom of heaven, for you don't go into yourselves. And when others are going in, you stop them. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe, mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, things like justice and mercy and faith. It is these things that you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. He goes on, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Play actors. You clean the outside of the cup and of the plate, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Jesus says, don't be like that. Don't be like them. We're not pretending here. This is real life. You see, what Jesus is saying is holiness is not different action, but different being. Right? Different being. He's talking about 
uh, love that pours out of your heart. You can be mean and still do the right action. Haven't you ever had somebody smile at you and you knew that they were being mean to you? Because their eyes didn't twinkle? You've, you've seen those fake smiles, right? It's creepy. Right? I mean, you, you, ugh. So you can do the right action and have the wrong heart. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not right. And so he contrasts what was said in the scriptures, right, in the law, with what he is now saying to his disciples. And this is overheard by all the crowd that's around him. So what Jesus is doing is he's relocating his authority from the written text of the scriptures to himself. And that's why around here we believe that everything in the scripture actually refers back to Jesus. We have to look at it through the lens of Jesus. If you want to know what God means by the scripture, you look at the life and teaching of Jesus. Because Jesus is the word of God, the Logos, God himself walking in front of us. And so everything we do around here is through the lens of the person of Jesus. So that's why we try to follow him in everything that he does. We want to be the kind of person that Jesus is. And so this is amazing, friends. There were rabbis before that said, well, you heard this rabbi say to you, but I say this. That was normative. People did that all the time as rabbis. What they had not done is what Jesus was doing is he said, the scriptures have said this, but now I say this. And it was blowing their minds. Nobody had dared do that because the only person who had that authority was God himself. Which was fine, because that's who Jesus is. He is God himself. So, importantly, we get this right. This is not a set of new laws, friends. Jesus isn't replacing the old law with a new law that's even more restrictive and impossible to carry out. It's a kingdom vision of King Jesus. Now, again, we're not talking about simply a rabbi or a person or a martyr. We're talking about the ruler of heaven and earth, of all the universes, King Jesus. Right? This is important that we understand this that we're talking about God himself, the resurrected person. And so God is showing us what's possible if we allow him to control our hearts and our minds and our lives. When we actually live out that first and great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. So this is what it looks like to love one another, to really love one another. And that's what um, Jesus tells us in the book of John. He says, this is my commandment, that you what? Love one another as I've loved you. Now, this is important. It's not just some romantic love, but it's the way that Jesus loved us, which put him on the cross. And we hear the most amazing thing that we've ever heard um, come from a man on the cross, which is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Dallas Willard would say that that was not hard for Jesus to do because his character, his heart, was so full of love. That was the natural expression of what would happen because he cared for all of his children, even as they killed him. Jesus wasn't on the cross struggling, well, am I going to curse him or am I going to love him? The natural outflow of who Jesus was, his character, was love. And so this is what comes out of him. Our goal here at Acts 2 is that we become like Jesus. So that when we're under pressure, when things get hard and when things are good, our natural outflow is love. It's not cursing, it's blessing. So Jesus' teaching is not a transgression of the law, right? Jesus is going to say, I I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, to really transcend it, is what the New Testament professor Eugene Boring says. Um, and he's exactly right. Not only, he's not giving us something more restrictive. He's saying this not only fulfills it completely, but then some. It transcends the law. So this is what life looks like and is, and is powerful and important. So here's the thing. Before we look at these six examples, I want to I make sure that we're, we know when we talk about sin, what we are and aren't saying. 
All of us have thoughts, friends, right? And our thoughts are neutral, okay? So when we talk about anger, when we talk about lust, when we talk about um, the things that come in our minds, we don't have to worry about those. Uh, A lot of um, junior high kids will come to me and they're really upset because they're having weird thoughts. Uh, And they think that that's a sin. It's not a sin. A thought is a thought. They come, they go. You don't have to worry about that. However, temptation, which is the next step there, trying to get into your heart, that's not neutral. Temptation is the thought plus the inclination to move, right? But if the will, if your will, if your heart doesn't change, if your heart doesn't move towards that, it's still not a sin. Okay, this is really important. You can have a thought, you can dismiss it, you try not to linger on it, you, you paid attention to Scripture or something else or a good friend, but you don't allow those negative, terrible thoughts to hang around. You just keep moving on. No sin there. Even if you're tempted, but you don't intend to act on it, that's not sin either. Sin, however, when it actually gets in your heart and causes damage to you and others, is a relenting of your will. When you basically give up and go, yep, I'm going to do it, whatever that thing is. So sin is the relenting of the will. Say that with me. Sin is the relenting of the will. Now, this is important because it's about your heart, not about the action. So even if you don't carry out the act, but you would have if you could have, that's a sin. It is. You can have a thief's heart even though you don't steal, but you would if it arose to where you could. See, God's looking at our hearts. And Jesus says, we've got to get our hearts right. Because there's not enough laws on the books to ever get people into right behavior. Because it's about our hearts. And so he gives us six concrete examples, one after another, of what a person with God's heart, what a kingdom heart looks like. And, and they all, all six of them deal with human relations, with relationships, not religious rituals. Now, why is that? Because we are suckers for ritual. Isn't it easier to come to church or to say a prayer than to do the most loving thing for your in-laws? I mean, isn't it? You're like, I'm a good person. Yeah, I know I cuss my mother-in-law or my father-in-law or my cousin or my nephew or my boss. I know that I hate them, but I went to church on Sunday. I'm a good person. And Jesus says, no, 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 we don't play that game. This is about our hearts, about who we really are, that we're congruent, that who we are in public is the same as who we are in private. And, And this is why that people all around the world and all different kinds of religions will often... Try to hop in the ritual mode to get away from what they need to do relationally. Isn't that true? We say, well, I, I did the right thing here. Have you all ever played cards with somebody when you had a partner? Right? Growing up, I saw this a lot around my home. Uh, my aunts, my uncles, my mom, my dad, cousins, all this. We would play cards. And if you play spades, if any of you have done now, I know that I'm in Methodist Friends because you all haven't walked out the door yet. Cards are fine in the Methodist Church at the moment. So... You're playing cards. And I always knew that it was about to get ugly when I heard one of the, adult, the adults say to the other, you know, you, you, make, a, you make a bid on how many uh, hands you think you're going to take, the tricks you're going to take. And then I would hear one of the adults say this. They had bid four. And I hear one of the adults go, I got my two. Now, that's the wrong heart. Because in a card game, you're supposed to be working for the betterment of the team. It doesn't matter if you get your two. If you don't get the other two, you're going down. And what they're really saying is, I've done my part, you better do yours. Or they're talking out of hand to let them know that they got nothing, right? But it's completely inappropriate. 
And Jesus says, we're not in a card game where you get to go, oh, I got my communion this morning. Good luck to you. It's not like that. He says it's about our hearts. So the first thing Jesus says is a kingdom heart lives with tenderness towards everyone, whether they get there too or not. Right? About tenderness. He says, you've heard that it was said, those of ancient times, you shall not murder. Right? Everybody knew that. Whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you're angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. Now, the thing is, he actually is moving in a progression. Anger to contempt to malice. Again, anger can come and go. And if you don't linger on it, you're going to be okay. But if it moves to contempt... There's danger right around the corner because when we use contemptuous language around people, their harm is coming up next. We're actually doing a setup so that we can harm them. And it's all around our culture today. It's not hard to see at all. It's everywhere. And then malice, of course, is to actually will the harm of someone. And if we're honest, we do that too. It's terrible. So Jesus actually shows this amazing example. Imagine, he says, so when you're offering your gift at the altar, we don't do that today, but we do have marriage ceremonies. Can you imagine coming up in a wedding ceremony and, and you're there and you're giving your vows? I mean, you've planned this thing for three years. You've sent out the invitations. Everybody's there. We've come up here. I'm standing here. I've got a, a man and a woman here and they're ready to be married. And one of them remembers, oh man, I didn't invite my roommate from high school or, or college. She's going to be so mad at me. And you just walk out the door. And everybody's there. They've driven in from everywhere. They're all here for that thing. And you just leave because you need to be made right with the person you forgot. This is the example Jesus is lifting up. Nobody would do that. In this system, there was no way to stop the ritual. There was nothing more important than the ritual. And yet he says, look, the right heart is someone who does the right thing, even if it's inconvenient. Now, this is important because Jesus isn't being... um, exacting here he this is hyperbole he's being dramatic he's being overly dramatic on purpose because everybody knew if we'll go to the map right that the temple is here in jerusalem right well where's jesus from galilee it's way up here it's like four five six seven eight nine days away so if you're down here at the temple and you're making your sacrifice and you remember that you know things are wrong with uncle bill by the time you get up there and get back the festival's over. It's impossible. What Jesus is saying is impossible. And we don't need to make it silly. We need to understand that what he's saying is the right kind of heart is one that does the right thing for all the people. Does it make sense? People would go there like, oh yeah, you can't do that, but I see the point. You're supposed to be loving. And, and it's not about your outward action or ritual. It's about your heart. So he says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Okay, so he's, he's moving on here. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, this, this is important. Uh, love is to will the good of the other. It's not predatory. So if we were to take this on its face, uh, and, and many people have, uh, all ninth grade boys are going to hell. I mean, it's just, I mean just, they're gone. I mean, there's no hope for them. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is, If you look upon another person with the will to use them, right? You can't do that. Every person on the planet at some point looks at somebody else and goes, wow, not a sin. Now, if you start making a plan on how to take that person over, absolutely sin. 
because you've relented the will. See the difference? It's very important that we understand this. So love is to will the good of the other. Love is not predatory in any way. He goes on. He, he moves it up in the same way that he did with anger. He's doing this with lust. He says, it's also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Now, friends, there may not be a line in the scripture that's caused more pain to more people than, than this section right here. So let, let me say this. If you're a divorced person here, we love you. You're accepted. And, and let me make very clear about what this means. Jesus says, I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of unchastity causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So here's the, here's the thing, friends. In Jesus' day, a man could have as many wives as he wanted, and he could leave them for any reason. And it was quite common. It was quite common. As a matter of fact, if you look in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, there's no pr- prohibition against divorce. And the way this is written, it's expected. Because it happened every day, all the time. And, moreover, what would happen often is the men would, they didn't even have to go to court. They just had to have two witnesses. Well, it's not hard to find two buddies that will corroborate your story. And the next thing that happens is the woman has no option. Her life is ruined. She has no legal standing. She can't go to court. She can't hold a job. And she can't remarry unless she's got a certificate. And if she actually tried to remarry without their certificate, they could kill her. Because it would be adultery. So, here's what Jesus is saying. He says, love in your marriage. As best you can, love your spouse. And when it doesn't work, and it doesn't sometimes. Sometimes we hurt each other more when we're together than apart. Jesus says, when your marriage is ending, do the next loving thing for everyone involved. For the spouse who's leaving you, for the children, for your in-laws, for everybody else. Divorce happens, friends. We know that. That hasn't changed. But when it does happen, we can choose how we go about it. Are you being fair? Are you being more than fair? Are you being kind? This is important because this happens all the time. And, and there are ways to divorce terribly and ways to divorce in love. So then he says this. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you've made to the Lord. But I say to you, don't swear at all, either by heaven for it's the throne of God or by the earth for it's the footstool of Jerusalem for it's the city of the great king. You don't have to swear. Not by your head. You can't make one hair white or black. You let your yes be what? Yes, and your no what? No. Because anything more than this comes from the evil one. Isn't this true? Have you ever noticed when you swear? I won't, I won't give you all my own personal examples. Um, but isn't it when you're not getting your way? Isn't it when your will is being thwarted? Isn't it when you're trying to move someone? Right? When, when they're not doing what you think they should do, the swears come out. And, and as a manager, I will say this. It is frustrating to me um, to live without anger and to live without swearing because we live in a world that there are some people that they don't think you're serious until you do. Isn't that true? You can say, I really need you to be here at this time. And they come in late. Now, if you were to yell at them or swear at them, I mean, I'd probably get fired too. But, right, there are people that don't believe you're serious until you yell at them or swear at them. But you still don't have to. You can be people where your yes is yes and your no is no. And when they cross that line, you let them go. Because you told them you would. You put it in writing. They knew it was coming. Whether they believe you or not is on them. You don't have to become like the world to live rightly. 
Because love is unconditionally truthful. That's what love is. This is who I really am. No pretending, no pushing, no presuming. This is who I really am. This is what I really need. Are you willing to do that, yes or no? If you are, yes. If no, I'm sorry. We'll miss you. So he says, you've heard it was said, an eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, you give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Now, you and I are going to really struggle with this. Because Jesus is talking to a subjugated people who have the Roman Empire all the way from Spain and Europe, all the way around Africa, all the way over here to Jerusalem. This is the furthest outpost from Italy, right? All the way over here. And the thing is about military outposts in that day, if they're not well managed atrocities happen terrible things because the people with power rule absolutely and no accountability it is the worst of the kinds of situations and that's what they had in jerusalem now jesus is saying they had all rights and privileges if if you're a roman soldier um, it was normative that because they were completely worn out you had your backpack of wherever you had to go if you saw somebody of the occupying country you could say i need you to take this the next mile and jesus says the right heart with a kingdom heart, you would actually do more than that. You'd actually do more than that. Now, this is a little silly, but this is the, the metaphor that comes to mind. Let's say you're outside this fall raking leaves, and an Edmund police officer comes by, or wherever you live, your police officer comes by, and they jump out of their car, um, and they say, I'm commandeering your vehicle because there's a, a madman on the loose. I got to go get him. And he jumps in your clunker, and you know that he's never going to catch that whatever person it is in your clunker and you say no no don't take that one i've got a ferrari in the back (laughs) now only someone who really loves the police could do that right because you're willing to do the very best thing in the situation for people who have authority over you that's what jesus is saying give to everyone who begs from you he says and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you Jesus says this, love does not retaliate. It doesn't retaliate. Even people who we're normally enemies against, that's not what love does because God loves everyone and we are to love everyone. He says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. No, no, no. I say to you, say it with me, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good. Isn't that true? He sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's true too. He says, for if you love those who love you, what reward would you have? I mean, even tax collectors do the same. Even people who aren't of faith do the same. Therefore, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You see, love extends to the enemy. That's what he's saying. Now, let's look at what Jesus did not mean very quickly. First of all, if you say, you fool, you go to hell. That's not true. There'd be a whole bunch of hell-bound folks. Right? That's That's not what he means. But the scripture does say it. He says, if you say you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. Well, this is, this is where our phones get us in trouble. Sometimes you just need to read the Bible in the Bible. Because if you read this in the Bible, in, in the printed edition, you're going to see that the word is not hell. There's a footnote. It's Gehenna. And Gehenna's down here. It's a valley outside the wall. It's where they burn their trash. Some people think it's where the kings also sacrificed their sons. It was a terrible place. It smelled bad. It always burned your eyes. And it was terrible. But it's not hell. It's just not. It's Gehenna. And it's a real place you can go there today. You can, you can uh, Google map it, and it'll show it's right outside. We drove by it uh, a number of times when we were in Israel. Um, it's just not hell. It's just not. 
So, and I know this is so confusing if you're like a church person. You're like, they always told me it was hell. It's not. It's Gehenna. It's a little valley outside the wall. Two, Jesus doesn't want one-eyed, one-handed male Christians. That's not good news. Nobody's going to, you know, look at us like, and go, well, that's, that's glorious. No. I mean, don't be silly. But he does say, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. These were the laws. If you were talking to a Pharisee, this was what would happen if you followed the law exactly. That's what would happen. He says, no, 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 that's, that's not it. The, the problem is so deep, you can't pluck it out and you can't cut it off. It's about your heart. Number three. We often have heard that Christians can't get divorced or marry people who are. It's not what Jesus is saying. As I said earlier, there's no Torah command against divorce. The law of Moses assumes the legitimacy of divorce. The issue being addressed is remarriage because the women were stuck. They, they had really three terrible options. One, move into a friend who had pity on you and all their kids. Two, um, remarry but knowing that whoever you married would always see you as second goods and lesser than their other wives. Or three, prostitution. That's it. And if you didn't have a certificate and you slept with anyone, they'd kill you. So Jesus is saying, look, the next most loving thing to do is if you're divorced, make sure you do it in the right way. He says anyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of unchastity causes her to commit adultery. Now why does he add that? Because every once in a while a man would find out that his wife was unfaithful to him. And the most loving thing, of course, would be to dismiss her and give her a certificate so she could get a new life. But every once in a while, there were men who kept them anyway for domestic abuse, to torture them, to hurt them, to make the rest of their life miserable because he was miserable. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. no. It's much better for her to go on than for you to keep her in abuse. That's not to happen in my kingdom. You can't say I'm keeping the law because I'm staying married and abusing your spouse. No. And if that's you today, I want to talk to you today and get you to the YWCA shelter. It's not to happen ever under any circumstance. That's not what Jesus is saying. We've got to be clear on that. Number four, Christians can only say two words. That'd be a short sermon. You're like, Pastor Mark, next week I want you to say yes and let us go. Okay. He says this, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And anything more than that comes from the evil one. And if you're in a conversation and you know you're wrong and you've said yes or you've said no, all the stuff that you come after is just faking it. You know it. They know it. So just say yes. Just say no. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be glorious with your teenagers? Can, can I go do this? No. But Right? Number five. This is kind of silly, but it's true. Jesus is not asking us to take off all our clothes and be naked. Right? But that's what would happen. If you gave the person your outer cloak and you gave them your inner cloak, you would be naked in the public square. You'd get arrested and killed. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, do the next loving thing for someone. That's what he's saying. And so if you have the ability, if you're with somebody and they ask you for something that you have, give it to them. Just give it to them. There's more than enough for you. There is. There's more than enough for you. And, and if you give away something and you're about to die, come see me. I'll give you what I have. Or anybody else in our church. That's what we do. We care for one another. We've got more than enough stuff here. You don't have to worry about that. And then he goes further. It's harder. He says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. That's right. You, you don't have to do that. Number six. When Jesus says be perfect, he didn't mean it in math. Otherwise, there's lots of us in trouble. Right? 
but perfect in love. Our hearts are to be like his. He says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That's what he says. Now, you may be saying at this point, well, what in the world do I do with all this? Number one, you treasure those around you. Everybody. You treasure them as God's creatures. That changes your heart. Two, you refuse to use anyone for your own sexual gratification. You just, you just say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to use someone. I'm not going to use pornography and hurt those people. I'm not going to use my spouse or anyone else. Because when you do, even in your mind, if you do that with an employee or an employer, it messes up everything. It messes, it's just weird for everyone. You just can't do it. It hurts everyone. Three, you move away from hardness or meanness towards your spouse. You do your very best to love your spouse as best you can in the same way that Christ has loved you. Four, you respect others to make their decisions without your influence. You don't yell at them. You don't curse at them. You don't swear at them. If they don't want to do that, they get to make their choice. You get to make your choice of whether you keep them as an employee or not. But they have to respect their choices. This is also true with your kids, by the way. Right? Sometimes our kids make terrible choices. They live with the terrible consequences of their terrible choices. But yelling at them doesn't help. Number five, in a conflict or lawsuit, consider how to love everyone involved, even the attorneys. Really? If someone's suing you, what's the most loving thing you can do? It's a lot better if you can work it out before you get um, into court, isn't it? Those of you who've been through that process, it's a lot better if you can work it out earlier. It sure is. Number six, you love and pray for those who hate you. And if you have lived very long at all, or you're in, you know, if you're in leadership, there are people that hate you. They just do. Sometimes it's justified, sometimes it's not. But when that happens, you, do, you love them and you ask God to bless them, not to curse them. And so I want to show you one last example. Uh, it's not religious in terms, but I want you to see, because I think it lives out the thing that I've been trying to talk around all along. Let's take a look. For six-year-old Finn Daly of West Hartford, Connecticut, the best view in his house is from the front door looking up at the flag. Finn has Down syndrome. He's also autistic, a combination that, according to his parents, Kevin and Brooke, has blessed him with a deep appreciation for the flag. I think it's the movement. If it's moving, if the wind is blowing, he would sit there for an hour and just watch the flag go back and forth, which is kind of the beauty of Finn, too. Somehow, he has found comfort and contentment in a sight most of us take for granted. And it's not just his own flag. We're fortunate we have a lot of flags in the neighborhood, so it creates for very long and slow walks. <laughs> Come on, buddy. And it was on one of those walks with the family that Finn discovered his flag de resistance. Here's your flag. Oh. A real beauty, mounted on a tree, hanging right over the sidewalk a quarter mile from his house. Finn would make camp on that sidewalk if you let him. He is that enamored. The flag belongs to a man named Todd Disk. The boy would just sit there transfixed by the, the flag. What did you think when you saw that? I was like, God bless America. This kid wants to look at my uh, flag, then I'm all for it. Which is why, not long after he saw Finn, he sawed some boards and made a little perch for that little patriot. Just left it out by the tree for Finn's family to discover. What do you think? And I'm crying, and my daughter Rose is saying, don't cry, Mom, it's okay, this is exciting. <laughs> Just a little overwhelming, but in a good way. Norman Rockwell couldn't have imagined a more uniquely American moment, a vision of strength and compassion in one glorious frame, all created by a master of kindness with nothing more on his palate than a circular saw and an eye for empathy. It's such a small gesture, but it just 
things like this really restore your faith in humanity. Like, there's still good people out there that want to do kind things for no other reason but just to be kind. For no other reason, which may be the best reason of all. What are you doing, Finny? Steve Hartman, on the road in West Hartford, Connecticut. Now, if you're super religious, you're going to go home and make a bench if you have a flag on outside. That's not the teaching of Jesus. He simply lifts it up. This is what the kingdom heart looks like. This is what compassion looks like. You don't have to go make a bench for Finn. And if you don't, you're not going to hell. But what might God be calling you to do to bless someone? That we need to pay attention to that comes out of our heart, whatever that may be. So let's close with this prayer from St. Francis. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. Not so much to be understood as to understand. Not so much to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are awake to eternal life. Amen. Lord God, this is our prayer, that you would transform us, that we would trust you in all things, and that we would love all the other unceasing beings that live and travel around us, that we would bless them and not curse them, that you would give us your heart and let us live in your glorious future now and forever. And we thank you for the prayer your son Jesus has taught us by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.